Hi, welcome to Olim to the Scene, where we talk to all your favorite Olim about living in Israel, their Aliyah story, politics, and more. I'm your host, Matan Goldman, and it's great to have you here. Let's begin. Welcome back to Olim to the Scene. I'm here with my guest today, Hasriel, aka Kaz K. Hasriel, how are you? How's it going? Um, doing well. Anyways, so Hasriel, why don't you tell us about your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions? Um, where you're from? Why don't we start with uh, where you're from? So I was dragged up in Johannesburg, South Africa, um, till the age of about 24. I grew up uh, in Johannesburg. I went to school at a Chabad school called uh, Torah Academy, following which I somehow managed to finish school, and matriculate. I went to Yeshiva in Australia for um, two years, and I went went off to New York for a year. Um, in between New York and going to do smicha back in South Africa, I did um, Camp uh, Yeka, which is a camp for um, orphaned Ukrainian kids, uh, which was pretty amazing. And then I went off to South Africa and I did a did smicha, and that's where I'm from. Very cool. I also went to a Torah Academy, although not a Chabad school. There's there's definitely a lot of traveling in that story. Is that is that like a common thing for people from South Africa to be in all these places, or were there uh, extenuating circumstances? Join Chabad, see the world. That's yeah. first of all. Uh, but I wouldn't say extenuating circumstances at all. Just that the the places that I wanted to learn in, or you know, the opportunities that I wanted. Uh, weren't available in South Africa, so I had to go elsewhere. Right. And then at age 24, you make Aliyah, right? Yeah, there was working before that. I was involved uh, I was involved in um, in the property field, um, involved in some entrepreneurial projects. I was also a youth director um, in a Chabad community. And I was also involved in security for the Jewish community. Um, and I got to a point where I decided that um, enough is enough, and I've got to really YOLO it. I can say with certainty that I, I did say YOLO and I, and I went for it because I really did leave a job, um, career, community behind and started at 24. It was time to make Aliyah. Right. And so I guess what was the reasoning behind uh, you wanting to make Aliyah? Is this, is this common in the Chabad community, in the South African community, in the communities of any of the multiple places you lived in? So I think... When someone asks me about why I made Aliyah, and I always say that the answer is um, ever progressing, developing, and changing. And that's that's one one wonderful thing about Aliyah is that uh, every day you can wake up and you go, ah, oh, this is why I made Aliyah, or that's why I made Aliyah. Initially, I made Aliyah to come to the army. I wouldn't say that it was something which was very, you know, it wasn't something which was really spoken about. At least when I was growing up or in the schools that I went to, it wasn't one of those things that, you know, make Aliyah. You know, a lot of people did make Aliyah, but it wasn't something which, um, like my brother, for example, went to a school where, you know, the whole shifa, the whole the whole chazon of the school is to 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 guide people to make Aliyah. Uh, for yeah. me, that wasn't that. And there was actually, you know, when we look around now and we look at my family that we're all here, my mom says, how did this all happen? How did we, like, breed such flaming Zionists? Because it wasn't something which was taught at home. Right. So you made Aliyah to go to the army. So yeah. that's an interesting reason because a lot of people go to the army and then decide if they want to make Aliyah. Like what what was it that drew you to the army? Where some people even go to the army because things don't work out for them at home or like were there reasons for that? So 
I don't know if you're going to say it's a good reason or a bad reason, but my reason was actually quite simple. My reason was twofold, actually. The one was boys and their toys. I liked the idea of going to the army. Even as an adult at 24, I thought it was cool. And it was something which I wanted to do. That's number one. You can call that lame. You can call that immature. But that's really, that was one of my big factors. The other one was I saw for myself personally, the army was a way to assist me with my personal challenges. And, you know, everyone has their own challenges in life. Um, and I felt for me, um, and I thank God I was right, that the army would be a place to help me to overcome those challenges. Um, we see, unfortunately, and we'll sure we'll touch on that later in the podcast, that, you know, coming to the army is not for everybody. And sometimes it doesn't work out yeah. that way. But I can say safely for myself that I came out enriched from the experience. And I said to myself, I'm going to the army because this is going to be putting myself in an environment which is all intensive and will that doesn't give me a choice to run away from who I who I am or who I want to be. I have I have to be that I have to do it. Um and uh, thank God thank God for that decision. Right. Um sometimes putting ourselves in situations that we can't get out of forces us to see how we react. Not really comparable, but I purposely did not get a Torza Khan an exemption to grow my beard because I wanted to see how it was like to have to shave every day. Um, so let's talk a little a bit about your army service, which is obviously very important to you. Seminal moment, seminal experience. Where did you serve in the army and, uh, what framework did you serve in? Has there Machal full service? So I served in a unit called the third Givati, which is the special forces arm of, uh, the Givati unit, purple beret, if uh, anyone doesn't know. I served, I joined a program called Karin Sabal which is a program which puts um, lone soldiers on the kibbutzim, sets them up with a host fam, and you serve um, however many months or years you're supposed to serve for, for your age. In order to join Garen you have to make Aliyah first. So when I went into the army, I was um, required to do uh, two years and eight months. And then the great story of how I got out is that one day my officer calls me and he says, you, you can get out of the army in two months. I said, what do you, what do you mean? How far he into says, your service was this? Two, I was in two two years into my service. So what do you mean? What are you talking about? He says, no, um, when you did the Gibush, when you did the Hell Week to get in to the Special Forces, there was a mess up with the paperwork and they only signed you up for two years. So um, you can choose to stay another eight months or you can leave. My then girlfriend at the time said to me, um, she's now my wife. She said to me, take your pick, either me or the army. And here I am married today. Right. Um, can see what decision you made. So let's let's talk a little about bit about your army experience, the the full two years, right? Obviously, the army and their paperwork sometimes things get messed up and it's impossible to change. So I guess because you said that you accomplished things you want to do in the army, what what do you feel the the army gave you, like experientially, and like what do you what do you think you took from the army? For me, for the army. I would say that the, fir the first thing is I really learned about the strength. Um, often it's physical strength, but physical strength and mental strength actually come um, come together. And I felt that I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about how far you I can push myself and what I'm capable of. And those are lessons which I take um, you know every day of my life when I wake up and I'm a little bit tired. I've always yeah. been more tired and I know that I can function. I'll be okay. I can get out of bed and I can continue my day and I'll be just fine. I've learned to keep my cool um, in situations, how to not get stressed out about, about things. And I've also, <clears throat> I would say, mostly learned is about how to deal with people. 
I think for me, uh, it was an essential part of me living in Israel, my Aliyah journey and being where I am today is having that time to really be in a place where I couldn't speak English, where I was only with Israelis, where I would grow up, even though, you know, uh, we grew up with completely different lives. And that was a really unbelievable way for me to to really get involved in in Israel and get involved uh, with Israeli society. Right. And you were in a Sayer. So I guess let's just briefly uh, talk about what does it mean to be in a, a Sayer, like an elite unit? How is that different than a regular unit? And then uh, we'll move on to what happened next. So and it, there's different levels within the elite units. You've got the big guys like Shaitet, Seret Matkal, Shaldag, and all those guys. And you've got one down. You've got then you've got uh, Maglan, Totovan, Egoz, and you've got all the other Sayerot, um, like I was in, which are um, attached to infantry uh, brigades. In order to get into Sayeret, you've got to do a hell week. Uh, go into YouTube, check out, look up the word Kibush and uh, Kibush Sayeret, and you can see for yourself. Uh, there's actually now a English series which they've put out. On Khan 11, um, where you can actually see what we go through there. Uh, what it means to be in the Sayeret is that you do a year and two months of training, as opposed to eight months um, for regular infantry. And it means that they put you through hell and back. And it means that they, you develop a mentality of not asking questions and doing what, and, and someone says to you, okay, put your shoes on, we're going for a 100 kilometer uh, march. Nobody asks or nobody complains and you just get on with it. And uh, what it means is also serious camaraderie. You start as a team and you finish as a team throughout basic training, throughout advanced training, and then throughout your, your rest of your service, you're with the same guys. So you really become a family and you learn also uh, what it means is what trust is that you know this guy has got your back whether you know you left a toothpaste in your room or someone's shooting at you and you know the guy next to you's got your back because you know him you know where he's from you know his family and you know everything about him because you've spent the last year and two months with him uh, every second of every day and, and um, it's also more intensive missions right after the training you do more yeah so the so the missions uh the missions are more intensive uh, we go go deep into into shem into ramallah um into places where it's not particularly friendly but primarily also we train lolenu but for war that uh, we're one of the first units to um, go over the border um to take care of whatever needs to be taken care of right so that was your service you finished early what comes next? Do you uh, obviously you got married at some point? You go back to South Africa. Do you stay in Israel? Do you find so a I, job? Do you I, start a degree? Well, I remember we were um, talking about Corona. This is um, twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, so so I got out. I got out Pesach uh, twenty twenty one, um, and I had I had a, a about a week or two of okay, what do I do now? I knew that I wanted to get back into the world of business, and I just had to. I knew that I just had to find the right people and connect to the just to get back into that ecosystem because I had no I had no interaction with that kind of world um, in Israel since making Aliyah. So I took a, a job at uh, the Michael Levine Lone Soldier Base. Um, right. In the meantime, uh, as a logistics coordinator, until I found my found myself work that what I was doing. So well, um, why don't you tell people what the Michael Levine Lone Soldier Base is briefly? So um, just in uh, two words, Michael Levine Lone Soldier Base is an organization which um, assists lone soldiers uh, in, in a number of different ways. They have a, they have a, uh, a center in, uh, in Jerusalem, they provide Shabbat meals and, uh, and uh, a bunch of, other, bunch of other different activities, a bunch of free stuff. That's, that's really what it's about. And it was a great, it was a great uh, place for me just to, to, you know, to earn some money, um, you know, work on getting married, you know, starting to build a home. 
it was just a, it was just a good place for me to 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 adjust and i think one of the lessons learned is that um especially for those who are making aliyah or just finishing the army is that it's okay to to take a bit of time to work out where you're going i understand there's always financial pressure this and that but what I, one of the wonderful things i find about israel is there's always work you just have to be, you have to be prepared to work but there's always work and you can make a living being a waiter or or working in the kitchen or whatever it is and, and you you may need to do that for the first couple of months just to to get your head around things and go through the processes and that's okay and that's something which i really love about israel that there's that they i don't feel there's this um this competition of you know who's got a better car who's wearing the branded shoes or whatever it is ever you know it's it's respectable here to put your head down and work right um there's actually maybe a, a reverse competition if you're paying too much for something to show off you might be the the fryer then um, 100%. <laughs> um, so you work in the Lone Soldier Center, you figured out what you want to do, and, and where, where did that lead you? What, what did you end up realizing you wanted to do, and what did you do after? Well, we'll there's a, a particular event, which I'm sure we'll, talk, we'll touch on shortly, which happened during my time at the base, uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. So I worked yeah. at the base for about a year, and then I felt it was time um, to... And, Started to get to know some people, and I did spend my. And I decided it was time to go back into the world of business. I, I felt stable, and I was ready to to get back into it. So, actually, uh, talk, you know, talking about Israel, my sister uh, met my uh, business partner on the train, and uh, she said to me, uh, she said uh, to him, um, you know, my brother's looking for work, and she said, well, what does your brother do? And she said, no, he's involved in this and that. And he said, uh, my sister sent me a photo of a business card saying call him he wants to talk to you yeah and uh, and here i am today i work in um called a high tech um i work in two we have two um two businesses at the moment one is a um, efficiency a system which increases the efficiency of wind turbines by up to 300 percent um, and we're in the process of rolling that out now and then we started a um, union of uh, israeli security businesses which is a organization or a um which we represent and consult for over 250 Israeli cyber defense companies. And our goal really there is to help small um, and medium-sized Israeli businesses grow and get them out there into the world. Um, and to be able to use that Ole difference where I speak both languages and I understand I understand the other side of the coin. And it's a, it's a hugely valued commodity, which a lot of people don't know about or, or think, oh, I don't have a skill. You have a skill. The fact that you come from somewhere else and you speak a different language, is a massive skill in Israel. Right. So can you get more into the details of like what exactly you do for the companies? I assume you're not like creating the wind turbines, right? What what no. what is what is your uh, role? So I'm head of operations um for both for both organizations. Um for the wind turbines, I um I do all the work in English. So yeah. sometimes a lot of the, sometimes the work is actually secretarial. I, pro I I produce all the all the graphics, all the brochures. Um I do all the work. Um, with potential customers outside of Israel. Um, I deal with a lot of trade missions, a lot of energy, uh, large energy companies and co corporations overseas. So and, you're, you're doing like logistics and coordinating? Yeah, but I also do, there's also business development. Right. I'm building partnerships with these companies. Uh, we're um, closing deals on doing pilots with them. They want to test our products. So they put up a turbine, a turbine manufacturer in Italy puts up a turbine, a massive turbine, which costs half a million dollars. To be able to test our product on 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 it, um, and I and I manage that relationship, and I and I and I manage that that whole process. 
Right. And I'm not sure if I missed it in your story, but did you get a degree at any point or are you working like? So um, I didn't, I haven't got a degree yet. I'm not one of those people, uh, Don't people who are listening don't say, oh, he didn't get a degree, so sh I, I shouldn't get one. I think there is a very much a value in a degree and um, so we'll, we'll be working on getting one of those um, one of these days. I just used my, so to speak, God-given talents of uh, talking and just, you know, it was a little bit of a Yisha Seichel and that's where I am today. But I definitely can tell you um, that I feel that there's a large gaps in my knowledge uh, or basic skills, which I don't necessarily have because I haven't gone through, um, you know, tertiary education yet. What, was that an issue at all in getting the job or were they like, they saw that you had work experience, they saw that you were like, uh, you had the, the social skills and they, they, they brought you on? I think, yeah, I think that they, they, they saw the value in me. I think that um, in a lot of positions today, and I actually uh, I actually put out a, a newsletter now on, uh, on um, you, can, you can sign up for it if you want. My, um, I'll give you the link. I uh, put up a, a cyber defense newsletter every, every day, uh, every, sorry, every month. And one of our sponsors, she deals in HR and she sent me an article which she wrote. And the article speaks about how high tech now are, are starting to hire on potential rather, on, uh, rather than, you know, um, your, what your resume or CV says at the moment. And I think that's true in, in, a lot of, in a lot of aspects. Obviously, you can't be a computer programmer if you're not. But um, a lot of things is, I think it's important on your CV to, to really describe your skills and your attitude and what, and what you can do. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, it takes, uh, you got to meet the right people. Yeah. So I want to transition the conversation to maybe a more somber tone. And this is the reason we're releasing this episode on Tuesday, Yom Zikaron, instead of our usual uh, Wednesday day morning schedule. Two years ago, your brother, L.E.K., was murdered in a, a terrorist attack in Jerusalem. Can you tell us a bit about L.E.K., what happened, who he was, and uh, what happened afterwards? Like, where, how was the, essentially, reaction? How did it feel? Sure, sure. So, um, as we just, you know, we just finished the, just coming out of Pesach, so I'll from <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I'll, I'll start at the, at the end. Um, Eli uh, was 25 years old. Um, had recently moved back to Yerushalayim um, um, after a stint uh, working in uh, agriculture in the south, which I'll get to after this. Um, he was working at uh, the Kotel in, um, as, a, um, as a tour guide. And he was on his way to work on a uh, Sunday morning, 21st of November. And as he was walking down Rachovash um, al-Shelet, if anybody's familiar with uh, the way you can walk to the Kotel through the Arab Shuk, so you come through Shariafo, and you walk all the way down the hill, and then the, the road takes a right and then like an immediate left in the Arab Shuk. And then you're about what, 300 meters away from the Kotel, and you walk down that road, and you turn make a right, and you, you ride there by the entrance to the Kotel. That road there, that last 300 meters, is Rahova Shashelet. Uh, and Eli was walking down there, and a, um, a known Hamas terrorist uh, who had gone up to Harabait uh, that morning um, to pick up a machine gun uh, was lying in wait, and when Ellie walked past him, um, terrorist opened fire. Um, and uh, for those uh, who are sensitive, uh, listening and uh, listening, discretion is advised in the next two sentences. Um, open fire to Ellie. Ellie was shot uh, about six times, and once, twice in the leg, a number of times in the torso. And the terrorist actually had time to um, finish his first magazine, 
change magazines and as he went past Ellie um, on his way to trying to kill other people on the street, he shot Ellie directly in the face in his um, in his right eye. Um, thankfully, Ellie was the only fatality in the attack. There's a, another young father um, who had been married for about a year, who's now paralyzed from the waist down uh, from the attack. And another another guy who davens actually every day at the, at the Kotel, um, his tefillin saved him and he got, uh, got a bullet to his tefillin. Um, another amazing thing, a little thing, I'll give you a, a little devotor while we're at it, is that we found in Ellie's backpack, what was in Ellie's backpack was his tefillin and his, and, and a Lekut Sichot. Um, and when we open the Lekut Sichot, there's a bullet inside the Lekut Sichot. So first of all, the Sefer, you know, Sefer of Torah saved undoubtedly another Jewish life. That's number yeah. one. Number two is where the bullet keeps the um, the book open. The Rebbe is talking there about, um, I can't remember exactly which parasha it is, and you'll tell me in a second, where we only, it's a, it's a Torah which we only read when it's a Shana Mu'aberet. And Eli was killed in a Shana Mu'aberet. And it's reading, it's, it's the um, story of uh, when Bnei Yisrael are um, serving Baal. And Eli Navi says to them, um, Pinchas, yeah. Yeah, Navi says to them, How long will you sit on both sides of the fence? Now, when I hold that thought, I'll tell you about Ellie, and you'll see why the story is so unbelievable. Yeah. Ellie grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa. Kind of a similar story to me. Um, he only he did a year of yeshiva in Australia, and then he decided it was time to come to Israel um, and to, to go to yeshiva. Um, it was clear that he wanted to... Um, to go to the army, I mean, when he went on a, a birthright trip in year 11 and he came back, it was a given. It was just, Ellie was going to live in Israel. When, who, and how, to be decided. But there was just, we knew, that was, that was a fact. Um, Ellie drafted to the paratroopers and, you know, we could spend another three hours talking about Ellie. But yeah. uh, just a couple of, of uh, you know, I'll try to put a couple of uh, points in here which kind of dis display the kind of person that Ellie, Ellie is and was. Um, you know, when he got into, when he... He served as a parrot in the paratroopers, but um, he didn't have the right medical profile when he when he went to the army. So they sent him um, as a jobnik to somebody who was doing a, some sort of non-combat non role to the paratrooper base. Mm -hmm. And Ellie, being Ellie, convinced the uh, the platoon commander that he's he's hundred percent fine. He does, his medical profile is a mistake, and he can be and he's fit for combat. And the commander said to him, "Okay, come, you can come join me." Within, uh, you know, within a couple of weeks, Ellie was already a squad leader. Um, and then on the um, Bachmas, the obstacle course, um, Ellie um, slipped and, and ripped all the tendons in his ankle. Uh -huh. Now, you can tell me as somebody who was also in the army, when you when that, get that kind of injury, you normally have to drop a draft and start all over again because you're out for like six weeks. Yeah. Ellie came back, continued, he joined his team, and he went straight away to course, to offer, to course mark him to a commander's course. Um, there were a number of stories of um, of Ellie um, and um, his heroism in the army, uh, which only uh, came out after he was in the army. Um, the stories of um, his PTSD that he had from being on the Gaza border, uh, being under mortar fire and having to run outside to bring his soldiers inside, uh, to find his soldiers to make sure that they were all okay. Uh, but that's, we can have a whole other discussion about that. Um, one really important story, which I need to tell, um, is that 
we often we heard the story at Eli's kever uh, from the from the mouth of his uh, one of his chayalim, one of his soldiers, is that when Eli was a commander of soldiers in basic training, one morning um, his soldiers didn't get up on time, so he as uh, as the, as commanders do in the army, they make you run back and forth, getting into pajamas and getting into uniform, pajamas back and forth, back yeah. and forth, and Eli says. These guys aren't. These guys aren't. Uh, they're, they're not. They're not uh, the standard. So he takes them outside the base, and he makes them just. He them start crawling. There's a, there's a mountain outside the base, and and I've been to the base and I've seen the mountain, and these guys makes these guys start crawling. And remember, these are recruits. They're in their second and third week in the army. Yeah. And they start to cry. And they're like, oh, it's hot and it's tired. We're thirsty and it's this and it's that and it's dusty. And Eddie stand, makes everybody get up and they stand in a chet because you know, everyone in the army, when, you, when someone talks to you, you stand in a chet. And he says to them, You should be embarrassed. You have a schut, you have a merit to be crawling on Eretz HaKodesh. Do you know how many thousands and millions of Jews that have given up anything to crawl on this land? And here you are crying to me about it, that it's hot. Are you out of your minds? And now this part of the story is, story is 100% true. And he turns to the side, there is a thorn tree. He rips off a branch of the thorn tree and he says to his soldiers, this is what you're crawling for. And he takes a bite out of the thorn tree as if he was taking a bite out of the shawarma, thorns wow. and all. Now you've got these, these kids who are looking at this dude, they're like, this guy's lost his mind. What, what, what kind of commander is this guy? The psychopath. Yeah. But we, what we see is, is you know, Eddie told me he was taking, um, you know, oh. taking thorns out of his tongue for the next two weeks. But yeah. we're talking about a guy who had a passion for, for Israel on another level. You know, and he used to take me to places um, down near the Gaza border where, it's, uh, you know, you're not supposed to talk badly about, about Eretz HaKodesh, but it's not the most spectacular place out there. And yeah. Ellie was obsessed. He's like, we're going to go check this place. I'm like, dude, it's it, it's some, some sandy hills. There's nothing here. He's like, right. but isn't it beautiful? Because Ellie saw the the beauty in Eretz Yisrael. So just to touch on the, bring it back to the story of Elia Navi, is that Ellie throughout his time um, grew up in a religious home, was in yeshiva. Um, after his time in the army while living on, on kibbutz, um, shall we say he was a bit more distant from uh, from uh, religious activity. Mm. Um, and he would say he was, he was also often very torn Um you no, know, he missed the he missed the traditions. He missed the you know even even in his non from you know years, he was still doing a, a minion on Friday night because that's what Jews do. We say kiddush and we and we sing lechadodi because as a Jew that's what we do. Whether I believe, don't believe, not sure, keep Shabbos, don't keep Shabbos. There's certain things as a yid that 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 we do, and I think that's very powerful. Is that you, it's not all or nothing. You know, there's certain things which if you feel strongly about something or an aspect of Judaism you connect to. It's not dependent on other parts of Judaism that, that you that you are that you do or don't do. Right. Um, anyways, Eli, um, after his two years, well, um, first, very... first, sorry to cut you off. I want to thank you for sharing the stories. I think a lot of times one of the unfortunate realities of living in a in a country in conflict is that the amount of casualties are not small. So I appreciate you sharing the story so that we can add some some character. Uh, one of the names and really understand who, who the person was and understand um, what it means to live in Israel. So it, it, it was pleasure, with pleasure. So to bring it to bring it full circle, um, Ellie, after two years of of working in uh, in agriculture, 
um, years which he described were harder than his time in the army in terms of the the workload and the the hours of being up at four o'clock in the morning and teaching people how to farm. Uh, they were very very uh, fulfilling years for him. Um, he writes on a, an Instagram post of his that when he uh, took a selfie leaving the south and he and he felt says you know he really felt like he was a halutz. He was a real pioneer, being out there on the border, really settling the land of Israel, um, taking active steps to 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 really. Um, to make sure that we guard every single inch of this land. Um, he decided it was time to come. Come, uh, he, he was dating a girl at the time, and it was time for a change. So he decided to move back to, to Yerushalayim. Um, and that's um, eventually where he, he met his demise. Um, but, you know, there are stories upon stories upon stories that we can uh, we can go on, we can talk about. Um, but I would right. think that we, that we should, there's a couple of, one or two, there's, one or two points that I think we should uh, it's very important to me in general I'm going to talk about Elio or when I talk about anything even in, in the business is that we always have to turn around at the end of a meeting and say okay what are the, what's the bottom line here what are the takeaway points um, and the takeaway points that I think that I'd like to bring up uh, about Elio is the one is that um, is that as I said before your observance or it, can, it doesn't have to do with it doesn't even have to do with religious observance it can be with anything just because you didn't work out yesterday doesn't mean you can't work out today. Just because something is important to you doesn't mean that it's dependent on other things. And we yeah. see that by Ellie because what Ellie was stood stood up for, he never that never he never wavered in that. He he owned his opinion. He owned the way he felt about things, and he was unapologetic about that. And yes, he strayed, and yes, he had he had ups and downs. He was always true to what he really was in the, in the inside, and that's to bring it to, to the bring it you know bring it around to the. Um, the story that I started in the beginning with the book is because Ellie was a guy who sat on both sides of the fence. There was times where he was religious. There were times where he was not. There was times where he was confused. There were times where he knew he what he wanted to do in life. And there was times where he didn't know what he wanted to do in life. But now, my time, what, is, what do Am Yisrael say at the end of the story of the Haftarah? What do they say to Elia Navi? Uh, we believe. I forget the exact words. Hashem hu alokim. The Hashem, Hashem is God. Because at the end of the day, and that's what this, what Ellie's what Ellie's story says to me, is that we know we know what's up and down, we know what's right and wrong, and there's a path to getting it. There's a path to getting, it, but we know, and it's we just have to look into ourselves. Because right. Eliyahu said to Amishra, look look into yourselves. You know, you know which is the right direction, and we know as 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 Jews what our right direction is. And often, you know, we're totally in Pekavot now. We can mention um, the D family. Where they've asked, you know, they start to learn pikavot. It says a selacharav in pikavot, and it says a selacha. The Rebbe says that you should make yourself a rav. We know intrinsically what's right and what's wrong. So that's the one lesson I'd like to take from Eddie. And right. the other lesson I'd like to take from Eddie, or to, to impart from Eddie, is that Eddie had a way of. You know, I talk to people. Oh, I met, I met him, I met him once, but he made such an impression on me. You have no idea what a 30-second conversation can, and what effect it can have on a person. You have no idea that person is a complete stranger or she's a complete stranger. But when you meet a person, give them the time of day. Give their, give, give, look them in the eyes. Put your phone away. Have a 30-second have a conversation because you have no idea what that conversation can do for that person. And I've seen, we've seen the proof of that. After Ellie's death, with the amount of stories that have come up from a conversation Ellie, Ellie had, where I can tell you, no, Ellie didn't even remember the conversation, but it changed somebody's life. And that's yeah. a responsibility that we have as individuals, as human beings. Right. Um, Kaz, you said 
earlier that your reason for your reasons for Aliyah are constantly changing. Every day you wake up and you say, oh, this is why I made Aliyah. So I am curious, how did Ali's murder, how did that affect your view on Aliyah? How did that affect your living in the state of Israel? It's a very, it's a very good question. And there's a number of ways to answer it. And there's a number of ways that I could have let it affect me. But um, we chose as a family and chose personally that this is not something political. Um, there were mistakes uh, that may have been made um, and certain things that have gone on. But that's really, at the end of the day, if you look at all the facts and the figures of Eddie's murder, it was something which has been a shamayim. And as a, as a religious Jew, that's something which I strongly believe in. And I and every day um, I wake up and I say, okay, my brother's been murdered. What do I do about that? What is my way of of making that making his death not in vain? And that that is really what what I focus on doing. So my I feel that um, my shlichut, the fact that I live in Israel, is just living here. I feel is is you know I I always had weight. It even has it has so much more weight now. It has so much more importance to me. The fact that I'm another Jew who lives here, because as somebody who worked in security for Jewish communities outside of Israel and having trained in Israel for those security organizations, the Israel has played such a vital role in, in today being Yom, you know Yom, Yom Zikaron Shoah, you know Holocaust Memorial Day. Israel plays such a pivotal and vital role in the security of Jews around the world. Um, whether you whether a person lives here, they live outside of Israel. Everybody has something to give and, and in what in whatever way they can to support Israel because Israel supports Jews around the world. So I feel that I've I've just being here um is a shlichut. Um I have really tried to start uh, touring more, touring the land which Ellie you know died for, um, you know, supporting small Israeli businesses. You also just, wrote a Sefer Torah in his memory. Wrote, wrote, wrote a Sefer Torah in his memory. If anybody would like to still donate or, you know, or get, think about donating, uh, get, getting a letter or a word, um, feel free to reach out to me. Um, and yeah, that, that idea of that Sefer Torah is to, 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 uh, to be used for, for tours in, in, in Israel by tour groups to tour the land. So I feel, I think after Eddie's murder, I feel even prouder to be Israeli. I feel stronger. It's almost given me strength to be to be. I take strength from him. Uh, I take I take pride. Um, I take pride in that. And I feel, and you know, when I think, when do I feel uncomfortable in Israel? People ask me, do you, do you ever feel unsafe? And it's not about feeling safe or unsafe. It's about this is my country. This is my land, and something over here is making. I, I don't feel uncomfortable. I feel upset because. I'm upset that I'm uncomfortable because there's no reason why I should be. And then, you know, I back up and I think Eddie wouldn't be, Eddie wouldn't be unsettled because this is his, this is, this is our land and nothing can stop, nothing is going to ever stop that. Um, so I really, I really have a, a huge sense of pride and a sense of belonging, which I, you know, growing up in South Africa, as much as I had a wonderful upbringing and a, you know, um, a, you know, a great time, I didn't, I didn't feel like I belonged. And now I feel like I belong. So on the train, uh, so, you know, in a restaurant, wherever it is, I feel that I'm part of, I'm with my people, no matter what what religious background or political affiliation they have. Right. 
Um, I would I would usually end this interview with some rapid fire questions, but I, I would feel the transition to some extent is abrupt and maybe a little inappropriate. You can try, you can, you can try me. Go on. Um, Let's try okay. it. Fine. Well, the first question, maybe a uh, memory of LEK. Israel, great place, great geography. Uh, sometimes it's a little hot. If you could, I guess, you know, let's change the question. Where is your favorite place in Israel? That's a very good, it's a very good question. Um, and it's one which I don't think I can answer. I'll probably say my house, my little apartment, house. my apartment. Any, any Teolim of note? Any any places that you think maybe Ali, Ali particularly like? Yeah, so um, one of them which I would recommend is uh, Vadi Kelt, which is um, by um, Kfar Adumim. Uh, it's a beautiful hike, which goes down into a, into a valley with his, with his, um, his running water. That was one of his favorites. Um, um, just Shani and I were up up north in an area called uh, Tsipori, on Choy Mod Sukkot, which was uh, fascinating to go to um, where there was a, uh, where the, it's actually where the Sanhedrin sat for a period of time. Um, I would definitely recommend looking at the Ushuta Teva Vaganim, so the, uh, I don't know how to translate it into English, but all those Rishuta Teva places are really um, amazing. And I, uh, I'd say one of my favorite places actually to just to go for a walk is the Shetach, uh, the area around Modi'in. I find it, especially this time of year, beautiful and green. Check them out. Do you have a favorite Hebrew song? <laughs> I was going to laugh at me about this one. Um, yes, Eden Hassan. Um, it's called, I'm blanking on it, Sivovim. Sivovim. All right. I think um, we're going to add some silence here at the end for this, like, memory. Belly K and um, Kaz, thank you so much for coming on. Bye bye. Thank you so much.